Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. Good morning, friends. It's great to be with you this morning. I'm Pastor Randy Lovelace, and I serve here as lead pastor. I want to welcome you if you're visiting with us. If you're here with family, extended family, I want to welcome all of you here this morning. Welcome to those who are joining us on the live stream this morning. We turn to God's Word this morning as we are in the ninth sermon in the book of Colossians, and we will finish next week. And this week, we turn to the passage that leads us into a new way of relating. This is Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to chapter 4, verse 1. Will you read along with me as the scripture is on the screens? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Jesus, is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no, there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This time I want to invite our children to be excused to the time of small saints. I believe that is four-year-olds to second grade. Is that right? There we go. Just want to get that right. Children's ministry, if I get that wrong, please correct me now. All right. Is that, get that right, Becky? I, I, kindergarten. kindergarten through second. There we go. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Got it. I hope you're where you need to be. Four-year-olds were just like, yes. No, it's, it's like, okay, good. All right, let's, um, let's pray together and pray for me as we work through this text today. What could be a problem in this text? All right. I promise this was not planned to happen on Father's Day. Woe to be to fathers. I mean, I'm just, no. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your grace and your providence, because when I set out these passages to preach from, I did not intend for that to be an intersection on this day when our culture and Hallmark land calls out Father's Day. But I pray, Father, that even on this day, Juneteenth, as we look at a text that mentions slavery and masters, I pray that you would help us to come to your word with open hearts and minds. And may your Holy Spirit 
bring forth truth and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Help us, we pray. Help the teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to give you an opening from a very little-known article, paper, written by C.S. Lewis in 1945. Uh, the, the occasion for this small uh, letter paper called The Sermon and the Lunch was occasioned by a sermon in 1945 that C.S. Lewis sat in as a congregant. Then, after that sermon, he had been invited to go to the vicar's house for lunch. This is what C.S. Lewis remembered and how he recounted that sermon, which was about marriage and family. First, quoting from the preacher. And so, said the preacher, the home must be the foundation of our national life. It is there all said and done that character is formed it is there that we appear as we really are. It is there that we can fling aside the weary disguises of the outer world and be ourselves. It is there that we retreat from the noise and stress and temptation and dissipation of daily life to seek the sources of fresh strength and renewed purity. Lewis reflects, and as he spoke, I noticed that all confidence in him had departed from every member of that congregation who was under the age of 30. They had been listening well up to this point. Now the shufflings and coughings began. Pews creaked. Yours don't creak, but muscles relaxed. The sermon for all practical purposes was over the five minutes for which the preacher continued talking were a total waste of time, at least for most of us. So anytime a pastor starts preaching on these matters, let's be honest, we get a little tense. I do, because I see the text coming. So this morning is very different than perhaps what you're expecting. I intend this to be from my heart to you as a congregation. I am also a father. I am also a husband. And I stand before you and before my family transparently and vulnerably. And I encourage you as husbands and wives and parents, if you are indeed so, that you would open your hearts and minds to what God intends for us because it might be a little different than what you've heard before. It is not because I have anything particularly new or unique to say, but I fundamentally believe it is not said enough. So let me begin first with a really important preface. It's on two points. Preface first about the realities of marriage and family and then about the mention about slavery and masters. And then I have one point. Okay, first, for those of you in the room who liked Bob Dylan, may not know this, there's an unpublished, unrecorded song that he wrote. The words go like this. Do you love me or are you just extending goodwill? Do you need me half as bad as you say, or are you just feeling guilt? I've been burned before, and I know the score. 
so you won't hear me complain. Will I be able to count on you or is your love in vain? All right, I'll take a chance. I will fall in love with you. This is generally how we think about marriage and particularly within the church. First, we hold marriage too high. It almost becomes an idol and the people who are not married or who have been married, who find themselves no longer married, feel like second-class citizens. And we speak of marriage as if it's this sentimental thing that if everybody can just get a chance, I'll take a chance, you know. But I do believe it is far closer. The realities that the scriptures describe, if we're honest and really listen to it, that it is speaking to sinners. I believe marriage and family is far closer to what author Charlotte Young once wrote, that domesticity is no passport to heaven on earth, but an arduous vocation. A sea full of hidden rocks and perilous ice shores, only to be navigated by one who uses celestial charts. We must be honest and absolutely clear. Marriage and family is a mess. It's a mess worth making. But I know there are many who are sitting before me who are married for whom marriage is not been easy. There are people who are sitting in this room for whom the idea of mothers or fathers is extremely painful to talk about. And we must be honest in at least acknowledging, no matter how much we might praise the beauty of the wedding day, the celebration of having children, if you're able to have children, gets so sentimentalized within the church. And we put on this facade, we dress it up nice, we comb our hair, and we say we're doing fine, but there is a lot of brokenness in marriage, a lot of pain in families enacted and perpetrated and experienced between husband and wife and between parents and children. I do believe that the Bible has given marriage as a gift, not as a command. Parenthood is a gift and not a ticket to first-class Christianity. If you have not been able to have children, if you are struggling in having children, if you only have one child but feel like you're a second-class citizen, know this, all of that is cultural and has nothing to do with what the Bible teaches. But I will say this, if we say that the gospel is the grace of God through Christ and the mercy of the blood of Christ goes and covers as far as the curse is found, then there is redemption and renewal available to the parent and to the marriage and to the child. So as we go into this passage, I want us to enter into it with humility and recognizing that we are sinners and we make a wreck of marriage and family. And if there is any good that is experienced between us or inside of our families, 
It is all 100% the fruit of grace that is not from us. The second issue which this text brings up is the issue of slavery and masters. Perhaps you've heard it said that what the Bible teaches or the kind of slavery which is spoken about in the Bible and the kind of slavery that ravaged this country for which Juneteenth is a reminder that it is believed somehow it is different, I want to tell you that that is not the case. That while chattel slavery, as it was experienced here in the United States, was largely perpetrated because of race, and they believed that because the African or the black race was considered to be subservient to the white race, that yes, that was one of the foundational realities of chattel slavery in the United States and in the Caribbean and South America and in Africa. However, that though the reasons for the slavery in Bible times was largely related to class, the treatment of slaves was still the same. Now, it is true to say that the spectrum of slavery within the Bible is much broader than we experienced it here in the Americas. There was slavery which didn't look like anything like slavery, but actually looked more like an employee-employer relationship, which is how I'm going to apply this text. But we must note the following, that I wish I could say, in the words of Professor and scholar Thomas Kidd, I wish I could say that the Bible was absolutely vibrantly alive with anti-slavery rhetoric, particularly in the New Testament. It is oddly silent. And sadly, there are those within the American experience and even within our own Reformed tradition would use the Bible as a means for the perpetrating of slavery against other people. So I wish it were more vocal. I don't know why it's not. I think one suggestion, one suggestion is the fact that the Christian group, the Christian people were so small, the idea that you would rage against the Roman Empire and its perpetrating of slavery and its continuance would have been unthinkable. I think that's one reason. And it is quite true that within the history of looking at slavery, the Christian thought was not uniformly anti-slavery, as we know. But one thing that is absolutely clear, even from this passage, that the first words of abolition and freedom from slavery have always found their source in deep Christian theology. One of the earliest written voices ever to shout against the evil of slavery was a Christian. His name was Gregory of Nyssa. During the Constantinian period in the fourth century, these are the words that he wrote. He said, if God does not enslave what is free, who is he that sets his own power above God's? God enslaves no one. All of us bear the image of God. And if God has not enslaved us, 
how much more then should we not shout from the rooftops emancipation to the glory of Christ? This is what led those Union soldiers in Galveston, Texas, two and a half years, the Emancipation Proclamation to announce to the enslaved people of Galveston, Texas, that they were free. This is why we remember Juneteenth. But these are the uncomfortable parts of the scriptures and we can't avoid them. We must look at them. And both of these areas, how we treat other human beings, if we're employees, how we treat our employers, if we're employers, our employees, if we're husbands and wives, if we are parents, here is the one point that screams loudly from this text and I will establish it from it. It's this, posture over position. Posture over position. Listen to what it says with regard to posture. Now I'm gonna remind you of where we've been because this isn't just something that began at chapter three, verse 18. Remember where we've been just recently. Therefore is God's chosen people, that's all of us, men and women, husbands and wives, parents and children, employers, employees. Therefore is God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, which means these are to be practiced, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. All through that description of what is to be describing the people of God as they are united to Christ is a posture of heart that then therefore leads to posture of action. Because when it says, wives submit, your, uh, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord, husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This is a greater echoing of what Paul would say, of course, in Ephesians chapter five, verse 21, submit unto one another as unto the Lord. Then he says, submit, wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. Here's what Paul means when he's bringing up the issue of posture over position. What he's, being, what he's look, pointing us to is the posture of who Christ is, not the position of Christ. That's only Christ's. Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth, but that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying that husbands are in the role of Christ and wives are not. Because again, it's union with Christ. So therefore, submit unto one another as unto the Lord. So therefore, the posture which we strike to one another is one of service. For Christ came to be served, or rather to serve and not to be served. Excuse me. So the posture of the one who had all authority, all position, all power, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Therefore, when it says, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. First, it's pointing to the role of the wife and to the husband to say, look at the character and the posture of Christ. Has Christ served you? 
and given himself for you, that you might be made new. So too, wives are to use their gifts, their talents, their person, all that they are, so that they live sacrificially with their husband. So too, the husband is to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Was Christ harsh towards the church? Never. He gave himself, and as we will in a few minutes partake of the supper, take this, my body, which is given for you. So therefore, as the philosopher and comedian Chris Rock said, speaking from a place of real brokenness in his marriage and real sin and not from a place of Christian profession. In fact, he says these words after he says, I'm, I'm trying to find God before God finds out me. But he says these words, a marriage is never a competition. And sometimes you're the lead guitarist and sometimes you're the tambourine player. And when you play that tambourine, you play it like somebody with a smile on their face. Nobody likes an angry and sad tambourine player. (laughs) And that is for each of us, husbands and wives. We have the opportunity and get the opportunity to consider the ways in which when it says here, do not be harsh with your wives, what they're pointing to, and what, though it doesn't use this word, it's pointing to abuse. But I want to say clearly, this isn't just for husbands. Men and women can equally both be abusive. A very denomination just released the definition of abuse in, in marriages when it says, domestic abuse can be defined as a form of oppression in which one spouse controls and dominates another through a pattern of coercive, controlling, and punishing behaviors. In domestic abuse, power, authority, and strength are used selfishly against another rather than for their flourishing. Abuse comes from a deceitful and desperately wicked heart. Domestic abuse is a violation of the marital covenant that destroys the safety and stability of every member of the family and corrupts the body of Christ. Jesus uses his body to make a body, to fill the body so that the body moves towards one another and husbands and wives toward one another in a posture of service and self-giving love because that is the picture of the cross. The second area that it talks about here is that, now it says fathers, Children, obey your parents, that's both, of course, in everything, for this pleases the Lord. There again, children are to enact the posture of service and obedience as is proper. Now that's often taught and celebrated to the point of abusiveness in the history of the Christian church. Do not spare the rod we like to pick out. But what we forget is the next part. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. I want to say again, while the text mentions fathers, it is equally applicable to to mothers and fathers. Do you remember that story I was saying a few minutes ago, C.S. Lewis, the sermon and the lunch? Well, at lunch that day, he goes and the pastor continues on 
applying the sermon which Lewis had already sat in. And it becomes an uncomfortable lunch because they start applying it in ways that the children know are absolutely wrong and inconsistent with how their parents live their lives. And so they try to ask a few questions. And at every point that the son tries to ask a question, his father shuts him down mid-sentence. And Lewis, it's a, it's a three-page paper. Go look it up, the sermon and, and the lunch. And Lewis describes what is so painfully obvious in the family, that this thing goes from bad to worse because the son feels shut down, feels unintelligent, doesn't have agency, and is not able to engage in conversation. And then the mother feels embarrassed and tries to put that embarrassment on her children because they're not behaving in front of some important guest. And then the, the daughter tries to interrupt her mother when she's trying to tell a story that she was present for that is demonstrably untrue. But as soon as she says anything, the mother feigns disrespect. Oh, oh, I just can't believe I'm not loved and cared for. Where is your affection for your mother? You know. And he goes off and says, yes, she uses the word affection, but we use the word affection as a means of bullying members of our family. What we want is affirmation, not just affection. And when we don't feel affirmed, we get angry and cross and we can become people who shut down our children. Yes, we are all called to serve one another. Children are to obey their parents because this is the authority that God has placed in your life for this period of your life. And you are to obey them as unto the Lord. But so too are parents to recognize that they're to seek the flourishing and the character development of their children. And the character development doesn't happen at the end of a really good sermon for which this is not one of them. Character development happens because they see it in the hearts and lives of their parents. The way in which we love and care and honor and walk with our children is often the place and school of the character in our children. Not always. You can do everything right. But our children can sometimes be desperately broken and sinners as we are. It is not put a quarter in, you get the thing out. All of us are individual moral agents and all of us are called to submit ourselves unto Christ as he has come to redeem us and he calls us into these roles. Finally, it is the role of slave, or slave and master. And here I would apply this very much to employee and employer relationships. I think it's obvious. Do good work as unto the Lord, not so that your boss can see it and reward you with a bonus. The same thing for the employer. The way in which we, if you profess faith in Christ, whether your employees know it or not, the Lord does. And as you treat them, so you are also treating you're a redeemer and savior because we, isn't that what he says? He says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. How does our treatment of our employees or how does our respect for our employers reflect our trust and grounding in the gospel of Jesus Christ? This is what Paul is laying out. 
This is what he intends for those who are calling on the name of Jesus. Because in the end of the day, what is being taught here is posture over position. Our culture celebrates position and a posture that can keep you there. But the scriptures, because of Christ, celebrates the other inside out. As we seek to love one another on this day and honor one another on this day, whether it is a hallmark day of Mother's Day or Father's Day, is irrelevant. This is a posture for those who call on Christ, who has poured himself out for our renewal. And if your marriage and your family is in the place of brokenness, I want to say to you as a pastor, welcome to the church of Jesus Christ. This is not a place where we need to hide that brokenness, but we need to find a place for healing and those who can walk alongside you. We have a counseling center for that effect and we have a way providing care and support for you if that is what you are experiencing. And so I encourage you, I invite you, please speak with me, please speak with Pastor Ken, please speak with Pastor Mike. We would love to direct you and to give you the resources necessary for the renewal in marriage and family that is offered to us in the grace of Christ. Because we do not want this to be a place where we brush our hair, we dress up, and we act as though everything is okay. Because we know, as sinners, it's not. But thanks be to God that God has not given up on the institution of the family, but has given us the grace and mercy of Jesus through which we can find renewal. May the Lord do this in you and in us for his glory and for our good. And may he work in us a posture of humility and love and service. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for your spirit that is at work in us. Father, I ask that you would bring renewal where there needs to be. Father, where there is pain, whether it is present or it is in our memory, I ask you, Father, for the healing balm of your grace that is greater than all our sin. And the blood of Christ covers sin as far as the curse is found. And so I ask you, Father, to bring restoration and to bring healing. And Father, on this day, as we remember Juneteenth, Lord, make us aware of the posture of pride and arrogance that led to the horrible evil of slavery and help us to work against injustice because the sacrifice of Christ has made us new. Help us to seek the renewal of all things. Do this, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.